This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. All right. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of the Regenerative Skills podcast. That's right. It is the 300th episode that I am publishing today. And to make the occasion, I wanted to try something new. So at this point, the show has grown immensely from where it started. And I would imagine that most of you who are tuned in right now probably haven't been here since the beginning. For that reason, I'm going to revisit the origins of this show and explain the context in which this podcast was started and how it's evolved along the way with my own personal journey and then bring you up to speed with where I am currently. We're also going to check in with my dear partner Alba, who is appearing only for the second time on this show. She bravely is confronting her self-consciousness about speaking English on a recording in order to share her perspective and to ask some questions. And though I doubt that she'll ever listen to this episode, I want all of you to know how much it means to me to include her in this milestone and to share my gratitude for all of the support and the patience that she has shown in getting me to this point. Now, I also get the chance to speak with my dear little sister, Emily, who has been my closest friend and confidant for my whole adult life. She and her three daughters, my nieces Selma, Rowan, and Lujane, are all here visiting for the first time since we moved to this farm and are spending two months of the summer with us. You'll get to hear from all of them later in this session as well. Now, by the end, I'll also share some insights into the vision for both this podcast and the broader aspects of my work that this show is contained in. As with any future vision, there are a lot of variables and uncertainties, but you'll get a sneak peek into what I have in the works at the moment before I hopefully announce them happening in future episodes. So let me take you back for a minute to 2017. Though it's not a super long time ago, my life looked very different back then. In February of that year, I was staying with my friend and mentor, Charlie Rendell, a natural builder and a bamboo specialist who I was doing a sort of internship or short apprenticeship with on his build sites and learning to work with bamboo with him. This was the tail end of a multi-year apprenticeship on natural building which took me from Southern California to coastal Oregon, Northern New Mexico, the Andes Mountains in Ecuador, and later to work in the Philippines and Senegal before working and living at Charlie's home in San Marcos, La Laguna on Lake Atitlan in Guatemala. I was living out the dream that had started when I first left a charter high school that was focused on arts near Minneapolis, Minnesota, where I grew up. I left when I was 17 because I wanted to learn to provide for and to build my own life. Much of the counterculture reading and the influences on me at that time shaped me to believe, as I still do, that rather than studying to get a good job that you'll likely hate, in order to pay other people or professionals, I say in air quotes, to build you a home or to grow and to process your food, to provide you entertainment and distraction for a lack of fulfillment, it would be better to learn to do all of those things for yourself as families and communities have done throughout our entire collective history. With that, I set out to learn practical and fundamental skills. I knew that since a mortgage and housing are likely to be the most costly and binding expenses of most people's lives, that I would learn to build my own shelter from natural materials and therefore liberate myself from that massive expense. Now, Through my apprenticeship and teachers along the way, I was exposed to gardening and small-scale farming and permaculture as well. And you can see how all of these pieces fit together. 
Now by this point, I was fully hooked and consuming all of the books and articles and videos and podcasts that I could make time for. All of those generous pioneers who were making their knowledge and experience available online and through shareable resources were fast becoming my heroes as I learned that I could get a deep education in these areas that I was passionate about essentially for free. Not only were these available for free, but at the time, most formal institutions didn't even offer access to them. So that's the premise that started me out on a long and very indirect journey to explore how to create my own life and to provide for myself. So fast forward four years and many odd jobs and continent hops later, I was at a cob building workshop that I was assisting on in Senegal, where one of the students, a delightful young lady with long blonde dreadlocks and oversized work clothes from Austria named Lena, she gigglingly told me one day that my voice sounded like a podcast. And to be honest, to this day, I am not sure if that was a compliment, but for the first time, it planted the seed of an idea in my head that maybe I could contribute to the growing body of free and high quality knowledge that myself and millions of others were benefiting from online. Now, jumping forward once again to February in a little cob hut in Guatemala, I finally worked up the courage to pre-record six interviews and publish them through a little website that I cobbled together. I called the show The Abundant Edge, which was in reference to the concept in ecology of the edge effect. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, it essentially says that where two distinct ecological zones meet, for example, a river and a forest, or a prairie and a woodland, that you not only see species of plants and wildlife from each habitat, but you find others that only thrive in the edge space where the two connect, things like amphibians along riparian zones and others. Now, this concept is leveraged in design approaches like permaculture to maximize the biodiversity and abundance of a space by maximizing the edge space in the area. And that's where the name came from. Now, <laughs> admittedly, it's a bit nerdy and niche. And in the end, I figured it would attract more listeners and represent the core motivation of the show better by renaming it to Regenerative Skills, which I eventually did in season five. Anyway, so... At that point, I began nervously recording interviews with people that I admired and that I was learning from both online and in my own community around Guatemala. In the process, I quickly discovered how open, generous, and willing people in the natural building and permaculture spaces were to making time and sharing knowledge. In turn, I discovered that I really loved the challenge of crafting interviews, articulating what I wanted to learn, and considering the perspective of listeners to create a discussion that was both accessible to complete newcomers to a topic without being dull for intermediate or advanced practitioners either. Now that isn't to say that the early episodes or my interviewing style was any good. In fact, I really cringe when I go back and listen to those episodes to be honest. But like anything that you repeat often enough, I began to feel more comfortable and confident in producing the show over time. Turns out even a broken clock is right twice a day. Now, as this was evolving, I moved from Charlie's place in San Marcos to the town of Sununa that was right next to it. I rented a little one-bedroom concrete shack with a tin roof and a cold shower to save money, and I had moved from being an apprentice to taking on small contracts with clients in the area. I built things like earthen ovens and saunas and composting toilets and eventually even landed a contract to build a small home. And during this time, I started to make friends in both the foreign and the local communities, and two of those friendships even blossomed into an ambitious project. Two of my closest friends, Jeremy and Neil, and I 
decided to buy a small farm property up the mountain valley with the vision of starting a small farm and permaculture education center. As the process began to unfold and we divided up the responsibilities with me in charge of building the bamboo house for the three of us and the other two running the farm, I started a feature on the podcast once a month to talk about our learnings and our progress on the project. So much happened over that year and a half. Much of it was documented in those previous episodes, so I won't go into too much detail. But the short version is that even though the land project itself was a success, and it still exists as Granja Siquin, which has now become a little hostel and a restaurant, our visions diverged and I ended up deciding to leave the collaboration for a bunch of reasons. By then, though, I knew that I wanted to stop traveling so much and to put down roots, investing in community and longer-term relationships, and also shifting my focus to work more with the land than to manage building projects. In the process of reevaluating what was important to me, I immediately thought back to a brief time that I had traveled in eastern Spain as kind of the only other place that I was attracted to creating that lifestyle. I had also stayed in touch with my now partner Alba, who I had met during that trip to Barcelona. But anyway, long story short, after a short trip through southern Mexico and then back up to the States to visit my family, I bought a one-way ticket to Barcelona and I took a chance. And here I am almost four years later, one strict pandemic lockdown and years of formulating a plan of our shared dream of starting a little farm together, Alba and I are now seven months into settling into Almoli de Bujons, which is the name of this old converted mill and farm which was originally built in Roman times here in the mountains of central Catalonia. Now the podcast stayed with me that whole time during that transition giving me structure when the pandemic life tried to pull me into despair, which it nearly did a few times, guiding my learning journey as I heard messages of hope and solidarity from the people all over the world through interviews and interactions with listeners, and creating an international community of like-minded people in the Discord channel who share inspirations and humbling mistakes and a shared love for making our little corners of the world just a little better through love and conscious stewardship. And that brings me to where I am now. And though I've shared a lot about this farm project we've started in a couple of previous episodes, it's always evolving and adapting to new circumstances. Alba and I have really prioritized family over the development and the progress of the projects this summer. We've got my sister and my three little nieces visiting through to the end of July. And my parents have even made it out and braved the uninsulated old building with no heating system in February just to connect with us. So these priorities were really a conscious effort. Alba and I took a lot of time over this last winter to review our holistic context together. This is a thought and communication exercise that I've come to rely on consistently both in my own life and in my work with clients and collaborators in order to develop a deeper understanding of the core motivations and the values from which we make decisions. Alba and I have long since identified family connection and prosperity as being a core value in our lives. As such, it informs all of our important decision-making and future vision for what we do with our time and our resources. It's informing right now how we plan to renovate this building. It's informing how we plan our year and the expectations that we have for the pace and the progress of our business and our projects too. On a day-to-day basis though, our days here are actually really packed. I'm splitting my time right now between my work with climate farmers, where I'm part of a team working to build the infrastructure to scale regenerative agriculture in Europe, 
by managing the farmer community and developing the resources to assist farmers in their transition to regenerative management. I'm also fortunate to have a couple of wonderful clients who I'm working with to envision and develop the full potential of the land that they're stewarding. On the side, I have a couple of blossoming collaborations in the works, and I'm a little reluctant to announce those yet, but I will certainly do so very soon. And of course, there's endless projects here between renovations on this ancient house and the development of a couple core enterprises on the farm, including a tree nursery and an orchard. But don't worry, I'll give more details on all of that very soon. Now, in the last six weeks since my sister and her three daughters have been here with us, we've all been finding a new routine as we do life together in this first summer on the farm. Before I hand over to talk to them, though, it's important to know a little about them and where they're coming from, too. So Emily's husband, Hamid, is from Kuwait, and together they all moved there about six years ago. Now, though they've traveled quite a bit and have definitely seen other communities and environments, their girls have all grown up in the desert of Kuwait, where there's little vegetation, almost no rain, really extreme temperatures, and as a result, most of their lives and their activities happen indoors. So when they come to visit us, we do our best to flip this around and do almost everything outdoors. Most days, I do jungle school with them, which could be anything from foraging for wild food, chasing butterflies, planting trees, working in the garden, watching the stars, or swimming in the river. I also wanted to check in with them, now that we're more than halfway through this visit, and hear from them what they've learned and how they feel about our rhythms of life here. As much to be able to look back on this with them in the future and remember how they thought and how they communicated at this age. Is it recording us? Yes. From the Yeah. Everything that you say right now, we're recording. We can listen to it again. It's... How about we talk about the help on the trees? Yeah, come on. All right, so Selma, first of all, can you introduce yourself? My name is Selma, and I'm seven years old, and I live in Kuwait. Wonderful. Now, you've been here with us at the Moli de Bouchons for more than a month now. Can yeah. you tell me about some of your favorite things about the Moli and some stuff you've been learning? My favorite things about the Moli that we have a river and there's a waterfall and we can do snorkeling and swimming and this and it was very special for me to see a rainbow. Yeah, we saw a rainbow the other day just after it rained. Yeah, it was That was so really special. beautiful. It came up just above the bridge and we got some good pictures. Yeah. And I learned also how to identify different kinds of plants. What are some ones that you remember? I remember to identify elderflower and I learned that we can make it to elderflower and lemonade. Yeah, it's so delicious. We also add what? We'll also add some mint. Yeah. Refreshing mint. Auntie Alba's been growing mint in pots in the front yard. Yeah. Okay, so tell me about some of the trees that you learned how to identify even better than your mom. Oh yeah, I learned how to identify hazel and alder because hazel and alder, they look very similar, but hazel has like kind of pointy in the end and alder doesn't. It's nice and flat. Yeah, 
Yeah, those two trees are all around here. What are some other ones that we have turned into food? Um, daylily. Daylily was nice. What did we mix that with? Um, zucchini and vegetables. Yeah. And we also made mugwort soup. Sure did. Was that delicious? Yeah, it was delicious. I had never had mugwort soup before. I didn't know what it was going to taste like, but it was really tasty. Yeah, and also I know how to identify black locust. How do you identify black locust? I identify it um, because it has kind of like round leaves and there's, the spines are very, very sharp. They can go through your shoe. Yeah, they're very spiky. You got to look out for those. There's a lot of other spiky plants around here. What are some of the other ones? I know a sting plant. What is it called again? Ah, stinging nettle. That's right. But even though it's stingy, it's still really useful. What do we use it for? We use it for tea. Yeah. Right now we've got some drying that your mommy uses for tea. Yeah, and we also raspberry, the leaves, I think we also can use for tea. That's right. But it's also spiky, so we have to be careful yeah. with that one. Yeah, but it's not sting. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't sting. sting right. But it's spiky, yeah. like the black locust, but it's not that sharp. We've even started to harvest our first raspberries here. Yeah. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, they were raspberries, and we're going to have a lot of blackberries this year. We sure are, because we've been finally getting some good rain. Do you remember how much it was raining at the beginning of your visit? Yeah, so they're going to be blackberry, and also there's black poplar and white poplar. They're not spiky. Yeah, yeah. They mostly live by the river, right? And in Catalan, um, black poplar... Is puyancra. Yeah, it's such a funny word. It's one of my favorite words in Catalan. Yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of funny. What are your favorite activities here? My favorite activities to do our scrapbook. We were doing our scrapbook. We were, we were doing so much nice activities here. We were chasing rain, learning how to chase rain where it starts and where it ends. And what are some of the things that we can do with the rain when it's on the ground? We can find puddles. We can find different shapes. We can find orange puddles so they look like orange or banana puddles they look like bananas. <laughs> yeah, that was that so was, much fun. That was silly. It really was. And we were tracking where the rainwater enters into the finca so that we can hold it and rehydrate the ground, right? Yeah, and we learned that also some people try to dig where you dig and that goes in the river, but we don't want it to go to the river, so we so we put some soil there so it can go to our land. Yeah, so that it infiltrates into the soil before going directly into the river and then we lose it. Yeah. We've seen some big changes in the river too, haven't we? Yeah. Remember what it's looked like after the big rains? Yeah, after the big rains, the water gets high and you can't actually really swim in it because the water is high. You can swim in it, but in some places the water gets really high from the rain. Yeah. And does it change color? 
yeah, because the rain has, because when the rain comes, so much leaves fall, so it goes in the river, and the rain has a lot of soil also. So, not like soil, but a, a little dirt, so it goes in the river and makes it dirty. And we also learned how to find where the dirty water was coming from. It was coming from up and going to the little waterfall. Yeah, there was this little <laughs> then, side river that was putting a whole bunch of dirt and sediment into the main river. And, and it changed then, the color. And then it connects to our river, and then it would, and then it would make our river dirty. Yeah, that was really interesting. I didn't know that before either. We discovered that together. Yeah, it was pretty fun. What are some things that you are looking forward to doing in the future when you get older here? I was looking to maybe put a shop in the front door. Yeah, do you want to help us with the shop when we start to sell stuff yeah. from our farm? And we also were build one of our activities. We were building um, the chicken, the new chicken coop. Yeah, what did you learn when we were doing the chicken coop? That um, it's dangerous if you don't know what you're doing yeah. because when you're hammer hamming or hammering. Mm -hmm. And I know some new words, some screws, drill, and nails. Nails, the ones that you hammer. Um, screws are the ones that you drill in. That's right. And so you got to practice some of those things with me. And the chicken coop is almost finished. Are we going to finish it today? Yeah, maybe. I'm really hoping so because Auntie Alba is going to bring us the pieces that we were missing from the Yayo's house. And then we can put the chickens in the chicken coop and then we can take them out onto the finca. Yeah. And then they're going to run around, eat some grass. Yeah, they're, they're going to be fun. happier there than, than inside of the, the trout pool, I think. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, let's see. What are some things that you want to tell people about, about your experience here? Um, I want to tell them that even when you're scared even to go in the river, Maybe it'll be fun because if in the waterfall you can do snorkeling and it'll be so fun. And also, when I learned that when you put your feet in the river, because the river is cold, it's not warm and nice. It's cold and shivering, and I like it. After you run, you can go go in it, and it will be so nice. And when you put your feet in at first, first you'll get cold. But if you're bidding, but if you're in it for a while and you didn't move your feet out, then we've got warm for you and then you can put your whole body in. Yeah, yeah. You were really brave in getting all the way even into the deep end. Good thing you've been taking swimming lessons, huh? Yeah, swimming is swimming lessons are very important for your body. That's true. What are some of the things that you learned here that you think you're going to continue to use when you go back to Kuwait? Um, I think I'm going to continue... To identify plants in Kuwait even? I would love to know what kind of plants you can identify in Kuwait. Yeah, because there's different plants in Kuwait. Because there's, there's, there's some plants in Spain here. And there's some plants in Kuwait that live in the same place. But there are also plants in Kuwait that don't live here. And there are plants here that don't live in Kuwait. Yeah, it's a different ecosystem, right? Yeah. And so we have different plant communities. Yeah. You already do a lot of gardening with your mommy and your sisters. What are some of the things that you grow there for food? We grow there for food. We grow... Um, also grow mint. Yeah. We grow mint. We grow... 
We grow carrots at the winter time. Yeah. At winter time, we grow carrots. Sometimes we try to grow strawberries. Some we, the strawberries are very are hard a bit to do them in Kuwait because it's not very hot, it's very hot and we they, the strawberries need a bit cold weather. Yeah. So we do it at the winter time in Kuwait. That's right. Your growing season has a different time than it is here in Spain. Yeah. In our winter time, it's too cold to grow things most of the time. Yeah, because you're by the river, and because you're by the river, and it's very cold in the winter here. So you have to put, so you have to wear layers of clothes, yeah. like maybe shirt, and then a long sleeve shirt, and then a jacket, and then another jacket, because it gets very cold. Do you want to come back here in the winter time, even though it's cold? Yeah, because now I'm here in the summer, and maybe. You, I'll go back and I'll go, I come visit in the winter when it's break and when it's break in school. Because our school would go in the winter and in summer break, it's very hot. So we come here to Spain. Yeah, yeah. Now we're in Spain, in Catalonia. So what are some of your favorite memories from being here in Spain? My favorite memories were seeing a rainbow in Spain. That was really special, that wasn't was it? That was very special. The colors that I saw were red and blue and yellow and the rainbow. Yeah, we got to see the whole spectrum. What other things do you remember from this experience? Our, the scrapbooks that we made were also very nice. The memories. Oh, and also the movie night. Yeah, we movie did. night's fun together, huh? That's Especially when Mommy when and Tia raining. go to... When yeah, it's raining. That's right. It's, it makes a real <laughs> beautiful ambiance. Yeah. That's when mommy and Tia go to yoga classes and then we do movie night with Holly. Let's wrap up this interview. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Sama Bean. This has been really fun. Yeah. Lu Jane, can you introduce yourself, please? Tell us your name, how old you are, and where you're from. I'm me. Um, 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 How old are you? Uh, no. <laughs> no. No. Um, seven. <laughs> You're two. Two. <laughs> Very good. Where are you from, Lu Jane? Um, went, 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 went. I see rainbow. <laughs> I don't think so. Rainbow. There was a rainbow over there, yeah. There isn't anymore. Did you go in the river? Yeah. Tell me about the river. You see the rainbow. Eugene, Eugene, what is one of the flowers that you learned how to identify? Um, That's right. Is it a flower? Yes, flower. And leaving. Did we go looking for strawberries? Yeah. Mm, did you go swimming? Yeah. And then that's. Which chickens do you like? I like jelly bean. You like jelly bean? The rooster? Yeah. Rooster. Did jelly bean almost attack you one time? Attack. Did he jump at you? Yeah, jump at you. <laughs> Have we been doing singing and dancing? Yeah. What are the songs you like? I like to dance. I 
Ecco. Ah, da venia. Non è vero. Gule. Yay! <laughs> Very good. Thank you, Lou Jane. It has been a pleasure speaking to you. <laughs> Can you tell me your name? I'm Rowan from Kuwait and I'm four years old and I'm almost five and for two years it's going to be my birthday really soon. <laughs> nice. Rowan. Tell me about some of your favorite things about the Moli. Favorite? I, when I saw the rainbow, was so cool. So, and I, and also when we planted the trees, when we plant the trees, we didn't only spit in it, we also put water in it, and then we washed it, then we get the eggs, and then, Go check on them, and then we put all the seeds in a plastic bucket. No, in a plastic plate. So we can mm, go and check out our plants, how they're doing, if they're good or not good. What are some of the plants that you learned how to identify? Strawberries. Yeah, wild strawberries. What else? Blackberry. Blackberries aren't ready yet. It's too early in the season. But we do have a lot of them. Um, we're picking mm, strawberries and also we identify daisies. <laughs> and when they make flowers, I put a little bit of grass and then I put a little bit the whole flower in it, but not the, the poison thing. And then I put the yellow part, and then when I smell it, it's so good. It smells nice. Yeah. Do you remember how to identify mugwort? Yeah, mugwort. There's normal mugwort, and there's Japanese mugwort. You mean Chinese mugwort? Yeah. Yeah, Chinese mugwort. Um, what about stinging nettle? Stig nettle, because if you think the stig nettle it looks like like mint, it looks like mint. It does look a lot like mint, yeah. Yeah, but if you touch it, the leaves it's pokey. Yeah, it can sting you. Let's see, what other activities have we done that you really like? Oh, this is my favorite question. Um, that when we make the story, no, 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 when we did the show, it was my favorite activity. When we did the talent show? What did, what did you do for your talent? I wore my fancy dress and I danced Swan Lake. You did, you did the ballet dance from Swan Lake from your classes. It was beautiful. It's not for my class. It's just from a show I saw. Okay. I really liked it. You did a great job. All right, do you want to be finished with the interview? Yeah. Okay. Let me listen to it. Okay, it's been a pleasure to speak to you, Rowan Bean. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, Mr. Cheese. <laughs> so building on the chat that I had with my nieces, 
I wanted to mark this milestone of the podcast project with a new perspective and also to acknowledge two of the biggest sources of influence, guidance, and support in my life. So I sat down with my beloved partner Alba and my dear little sister Emily to let them ask me some questions about the show and reflect on all that we've gone through together in the last seven years. So let's jump right into what will be an abrupt start with a question for me from Emily. So obviously because we've made it to episode number 300, you haven't given up. <laughs> Turns out. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm interested to know if there were moments where you felt like giving up or thought you weren't going to continue. And I'd love to hear about those moments and why you in eventually didn't give up and kept going. Yeah. Uh, I think the first two years were easier because I was really connecting with a lot of people. It was very relevant to what I was doing at that time with the natural building work and the little homestead that we were setting up in Guatemala. I didn't really have a whole lot of doubts. The first two years were fairly easy. After that, towards the end of each season, probably in December or so, I is when I think I started to, to wonder whether this was really worth all the effort that it requires. I mean, I'm... In the early days, it probably took longer. I think once I hit my stride in about season three, I calculated it takes between five and six hours on average to schedule ahead of time, uh, do the interview, post-production, and then all of the stuff to get it published out on the website and on the RSS feed. And yeah, okay, that's not a ton of hours, but I have to fit them around what has looked like almost two full-time jobs at various times throughout these last years. And, I mean, despite the generous contributions of New Society publishers and being with me th from the beginning, this isn't the endeavor that pays my bills by any means. And oftentimes it can be very difficult to see the direct benefits that I get from this because I haven't really made an effort to run it as a business. There have been many opportunities to do so, but I've always just prioritized other projects. And, yeah, so usually by the end of a season, I'm reflecting on, okay, what went well? Is this really worth the time? Is it actually advancing anything important for me in my life at a given time? Am I going to take on another year? Because I don't know, for some reason, I never thought <laughs> I'll just do 10 more episodes into the next year. For me, I always think about it in one year chunks. Um, I could just as easily not. But yeah, so that has come up quite a few times. This last year was actually one of the easier ones to re-up. I have been really encouraged by the statistics, reaching uh, 1.5, like the top 1.5% of global podcasts was really validating. It was never something that I set out to do, but it was just for me, it felt good that, that I was actually getting people listening to this, that it was valuable for others, as well as the feedback on the Discord community and seeing that people engage with the conversations that are started from this. So that's made it a lot easier. Um, and then Usually once I made the decision to go through with another season, then I just go through with it and take it on. At this point, it's pretty routine. It's, it's weird the, the month of January where I don't publish uh, since it's just been such a big routine part of my life since I started. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when you start the podcast in 2017, um, did you imagine you would arrive at 300 episodes? Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> could not have imagined that back then. I really didn't have an agenda for the podcast when I started it, other than wanting to speak with all of these people. Uh, I've mentioned this on the show before, but I just had a personal interest in 
reaching out to the people that I was learning from online, many of them for free, and uh, I was very grateful for what they were publishing. Um, it was within my budget at the time, which nothing else really was, and it was all very high quality information in YouTube videos and books, uh, especially in books, and a lot of other digital media has kind of grown up since then. But I figured that I would get more people saying yes to speak to me one-on-one -on -one if I offered to, to do a podcast interview than if I just said, you know, hey, I'm Oliver, can you answer my questions? <laughs> you know, that's, it's not very convincing. Um, and then my contribution to that wealth of information that was being shared by everybody would be to then actually publish them and make them available. And hopefully, you know, people were interested in the same questions and from hearing them from the same people. And it has turned out to be the case. And yeah, I really did not have an agenda beyond that when I started the show. And I did not think, oh, you know, I'll stick with it for five years and then see what happens. It was like, okay, let's just take it one season at a time. And it's really grown one season at a time. So coming from the outside of your field, I remember when you started this podcast. Yeah. And I remember thinking, cool. He'll interview like 20 people and then aren't those all the people in his field? <laughs> because I know, well, now obviously it's been a lot longer. <laughs> but I mean, I remember thinking this is such a niche little thing. I'd never even heard of regenerative agriculture. I'd never heard of, you know, agroforestry or all these things that now things are natural. Yeah, I was like, oh, I mean, maybe there are these tiny little communities where people are developing mm -hmm. this, but it's new and it's still emerging. And so... For you to now be 300 episodes in, you know, looking from the outside, I would imagine that you've covered this exhaustive survey of all the people who are specialized in your field. How do you feel in terms of sort of the, the scope that you've reached of experts? Yeah, for me, it, I feel about it the same way as I do traveling. The more I travel, the more I realize I haven't seen. And with these interviews, the more people I speak to, the more of these subtopics and interest points and... Uh, yeah, just rabbit holes that you could go down, I realized that there are beyond what I knew about. And so the field just continues to expand. And I, I feel like I haven't even scratched the surface of a lot of these topics, though I've spoken to, in my opinion, some of the most prominent voices in the space. Oftentimes, the most interesting interviews for me have come from little or completely unknown people that have either reached out to me directly, uh, either by email or through the community, and said, hey, you know, I have this blog or I do this thing, and have such a unique perspective and perhaps a, a unique expertise in something that I don't see talked about in the larger conversations that are happening in this field or on other shows in general, that spark an interest into a whole nother realm of of, uh, well, I, I mean, this is a broad field, right? It sounds niche, but it really covers every aspect of human flourishing. And it covers uh, how we house and clothe ourselves all the way to how we interact as a species with the surrounding ecology. And when you start to pick into that, you realize just how much that covers. And the only difference is that it looks at it from a perspective of how can we do this regeneratively? And that's an evolving concept and term as well. So everybody has their own take on it. Everybody has their own ideas of how to live it or put it into action. And then you just look at it through almost every single specialty or point of interest that exists, but from that perspective. Yeah. Well, and that's why, you know, being someone, you know, for example, I live in Kuwait, so 
you know, agroforestry is not going to be the thing that I get to apply in my life that makes a difference in my everyday life, probably. Yeah. At least, you know. Yeah. So. Even if you do, it'll be experimental and yeah. very slow growing, sure. But I was really interested to see how some of the episodes really spoke to me and then prompted these major changes in my life. So, for example, your the episode about bread making. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember there was an author, um, I can't remember her name now, but she was a New Society Publishers author. She had this book about bread making. Um, I think her name is Miller, which is perfect yeah. for her being a bread maker. Yeah. Um, and I remember reading her book and listening to that episode and then completely changing all of my bread making and eating habits and getting to the point where now we only eat homemade sourdough bread in yeah. our house. Well, didn't I give you a copy of the book too? Yeah, you yeah. did. You gave me your copy yeah. of the book. So that was really huge for me thinking that, you know, I think I, I used to think of regenerative agriculture and all of this stuff that you do is something really amazing that I was interested in, in theory, but something that wasn't going to be relevant in my yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was kind of the episode that made me realize, actually, this is something much more broad. Well, I've often thought that this show could be done completely differently. My focus and interest around it is, you know, gardening and ecological restoration and regen ag and natural building. But someone could do the regenerative skills podcast as, let's say, a lawyer or as a mother or as a community organizer and pretty much ask all the same questions, but within their sphere of focus. And I've tried to cover many things beyond just my own personal nerd subjects, but I'm not very well versed in them and I only kind of touch on them in the show when I really focus on the things that I like. But you could just as easily have this perspective or this slant on on getting information out in a totally different sector sector of work or like you do with your religious and spiritual communities. You could do the exact same type of show in one of those subjects, I think. Yeah. And what are your biggest learnings in the last seven years of running the podcast? Oh, man. So (laughs) this is something I've thought about a lot because I have actually asked it to a number of my colleagues and people that I've looked up to who run podcasts, uh, like Scott Mann of the uh, Permaculture Podcast, Jill Cloutier from Sustainable World Radio, because they're, you know, like a decade ahead of me in experience. And I wanted to kind of catch up with some of their their learnings. One of the main things as far as the content of the show goes is that the people who I really admire and I care to emulate in their line of work always focus on patterns and relationships rather than details and information. The details and information you can learn, especially with the technology we have available right now. But if you don't have kind of a wisdom and a connection to the patterns of nature and uh, the processes, the information is not going to be well applied or it's going to be misapplied. So that's one of the commonalities that I've started to suss out from all of these interviews. The information is fun. You can engage with it. And it's been a focus of the show to to show how you can pick little pieces of information out and apply it into your life, right? I would hope that everybody who listens to an episode could do something with the information by the end of it. But my biggest learnings have been around the patterns and the relationships and and the wisdom that, that comes around this. And then from the perspective of an interviewer, I have learned and put into practice so often now kind of a deeper listening and conversation that I find or I look for the opportunities to ask a follow-up question that does two things, that goes deeper into a subject that I'm generally 
are genuinely interested in, but also in a way that validates the person who's speaking so that they know that you're listening and they, they understand that you care about what you're saying as well, which I believe, and I, I kind of have seen a difference in the reactions, gives a little bit of confidence because some people are nervous when they're being interviewed or are unsure how the questions are or their, their answers are landing. And so it's just as useful to give that as feedback as it is to use it as a prompt to go deeper into information. And I've noticed how I've used that in so many interactions outside of the podcast. So, I mean, I've had a ton of learnings outside of that and I could pick learnings from any individual episode because uh, I specifically ask the questions about things that I want to follow up and learn more about. But when I'm thinking about this as a body of work and the patterns that have emerged, I think those have been kind of the most potent ones that are really a part of my life now. Well, I know that, and I've heard you reflect on how the process of doing this podcast has made you a better interviewer, has made you a better listener, um, a better communicator. And thinking about it from the other side, you've probably also learned a lot about what what it means to be a good interviewee what it means to, to respond to questions in a helpful way. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the real challenging experiences you've had trying to interview people? You know, we don't need to name names or anything, <laughs> but I'm sure that there have been really tough interviews. There have been a few. There are few and far between. I mean, oftentimes the people that I reach out to are because they're educators in whatever the field they are. And I will say that the, in general, the best interviews that I get are from professors like either university professors or people who are regularly engaged in education because they are used to explaining things, answering questions, and laying out a subject in a way that people can understand it, right? That just makes sense. (laughs) But yeah, so (laughs) the things that make an interview very difficult, and it has happened a few times, are when you ask a question and either they're scatterbrained and they start to answer it, but then just kind of ramble off into a different subject and never come back around. Or, as you maybe have referenced if you've ever seen political interviews, they just answer a totally unrelated question and dance around the one that you asked. No matter how directly you ask it, they're not going to say the thing that you're actually asking for and end up just talking about something adjacent that was kind of on their agenda. Again, like you see that much more frequently in, in political conversations. It's kind of, it's well known, but it, it has happened a few times on this show. And, you know, I'm not a seasoned or very, like, these aren't hard hitting interviews. I'm not trying to like get to the facts or like hold anybody's feet to the fire. So I just let it go and usually try it again with something else. And if they just dance around and I can never pin them down to answer anything like really useful, I have... Purposely not published, I think, about three episodes. It's, you know, three and 300 is a very, very low percentage. Um, But I've contacted those people and politely said, like, hey, this is not the content that I was hoping for. Um, In one case, I I allowed them to have the audio and do what they want with it. In other cases, I was just like, you know, (laughs) this just isn't going to see the going to go on air. It's just not something I want to put out. And I will admit, and I won't say which ones these are, there are a couple that I have done that I would have loved to not publish, but I didn't have another interview lined up. So I was just like, well, well, I'm just going to put this out there. It's not my favorite, but I've got to meet deadlines that I invented in my head. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, um, tell the truth. Eh? Uh, what is your favorite episode? Yeah, we talked about this. So uh, I can't 
necessarily pick a favorite interview. Mm -hmm. A lot of them have been fun or engaging for different reasons, but the ener the, the episodes I but would say if, that if you need to choose one. Yeah, well, if I'm going to choose one, I'm going to choose the one that I did earlier this year that you actually helped me out with. Mm -hmm. The one that I recorded over the process of doing that uh, hydrological installation on the farm in Nicaragua. Partly because I was making an episode that I kind of always wish someone would have made for me, which is a professional going out into the field and basically having a diary of the process of doing a really cool job and making it kind of fun and a little bit storytelling-ish. And you helped me out and made it much more fun and easy to do by giving me something of a template and questions to ask myself mm -hmm. at each point in each day. And so I answered the questions that you gave to me. I, I started it out sitting in the airport when I was heading out there. And with my now good buddy Jake Takif, who was the leader on that project, and I was kind of his understudy there, he also gave some really good, let's say, insights and reflections from all of the experience that he has that I don't have yet. And we kind of baseballed questions and reflections throughout the day. A whole bunch of unexpected challenges showed up in that job and they were reflected in the reality of what that contract looked like. And it was fun to make. I got to actually work on it with you, which is one of the only episodes that I've done that with. I hope we get to do more. And it was just unique. Uh, and again, like, you know, I, I hope other people who are doing cool work like that document these processes because I know that there's an interest, especially from my side, but other peers in hearing, you know, day to day, what does this, this experience look like? That was super fun. Yeah. Okay. And another, another funny question. Okay. <laughs> Be honest. Eh? Okay. How many times did you change our plans? <laughs> For example, uh, you tell, you say, Alban, I have an interview, an interview at five. Ah, no, no, no at seven no finally tomorrow and you know <laughs> yeah or the times when you had another call but I had an interview so you yeah. either moved your call but then I got the time wrong and you could have had the call but it was already moved and exactly. that happened a lot explain, I have to explain. yeah so you want me to come clean with how much I've screwed up your schedule because of this podcast that's only fair and the other thing too is this used to be a lot harder when we lived in the apartment before moving into this house because it was a split level with a spiral staircase and no doors on anything to have privacy or to okay. block sound other than the bathroom. And I couldn't get internet connection <laughs> in the bathroom. Otherwise, I swear I would have recorded. You tried. I, oh, I tried. Yeah. But yeah, I made your... Because, I mean, I moved here just before the pandemic and we were locked in. And then even after the pandemic, we were both working from home. Yeah, that was challenging and I apologize, but man, has it gotten a lot better now that the house that we're in has separate rooms with doors <laughs> on them. We could even go to a different level of the house yes. and, and go somewhere quiet. That has made it much, much easier, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I also have to admit that oftentimes I'm just bad at scheduling and I'll look at my appointments for the day and like, oh, okay, it's at five, but it's actually at seven yeah. or, or at three. <laughs> Because sometimes I struggle with the conversion between military time. I still and, do that all the yeah. time. Yeah. So this is 1500, so it's at 5. <laughs> <laughs> nope. And then we make our plans and then, yeah. And uh, in that apartment, there was uh, like uh, obras, uh, renovations oh, going on yeah. next door to us. 
and it got so loud while they were like hammer drilling in the wall right next to our bedroom and we could not hear ourselves think we actually escaped to go and record an episode i think at an ikea (laughs) (laughs) you know there's something wrong when you go to an ikea for peace and quiet yeah for real but that in comparison to our yeah Yeah. so that was that was challenging oh man (laughs) you've put up with a lot yeah. I hope everybody listening understands how much <laughs> how many of these episodes are by the grace of Alba that they happened. Pobre <laughs> Alba. <laughs> okay, so let's switch over now to Emily. Would you like, why don't you ask some questions to Alba and I about the vision and the evolution of this Moli project? Because, you know, the podcast has taken me on a seven-year journey to get here. But there have been some much bigger changes in mine and our lives very recently mm-hmm. that you're now part of. Yeah. I think one of the things that I love so much about this project is just the sort of infinite possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and having seen you guys from the time you first encountered the place and saw it yeah. through the first time you really went and took an inside visit in depth to the first time you know you decided you wanted to make an offer and then the whole nightmare purchase process and oh my gosh you know now to getting it and now living in it it's really amazing yeah i've been up to date but you are emotional confident (laughs) over this last year it's a good good moment to say thank you it is yeah oh my gosh and thank you to you guys for letting me be a part of this because you know in many ways there are aspects of of dreams of mine that that i get to see fulfilled here yeah 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 and we're so glad that you and the girls get to be such a big part of it yeah yeah hopefully the thousand years that this house has survived so far will continue to preserve it through the wrath of my (laughs) children (laughs) survive the the rambunctious beans the girls they're doing their best to destroy the place they are they're on their way the thing is, I just need to let them loose in various parts of the house that we're doing demolition on. There you go. <laughs> just have them <laughs> Just shatter. tell them, don't touch anything. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and exactly. then leave them for 20 minutes. And I'll come back and the whole wall will be gone. Yeah, there you Perfect. Go. That's a good idea. Yeah. And just leave a bunch of tools. Yeah, exactly. That they can't All the, touch. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> demolition plan. Love it. But so my question is, you know... With these sort of endless possibilities, I think almost at each phase of the process of acquiring this place, I've heard totally different visions of what this place could or would become. So, you know, I've heard different things like, you know, a school, an education center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard things like agro-tourism mm-hmm. or, yeah. you know, eco-tourism. I've heard, um, you know, a, a place where the family can get together because, you know, our family lives all over the world. And mm-hmm. so it'd be nice to have a place to come all together. I've heard, you know, centers for different projects or restoration of the environment that would involve the community. Are there any visions that you've had or dreams that you've just completely eliminated? And if so, why? And no. then after that, I'll ask the next, no. ask the next I don't think we've completely no. nixed anything. But maybe we have spent more, a lot of, more time that we expect with demolition and clean and yeah just getting things ready to start to build on top of is taking a lot longer than i expected part of this is because of our working schedules yeah part of it is making time for you and the girls to be here which is just you know makes it slower to advance other projects 
yeah, I've had travels come up, um, and then just the the amount of demolition and cleaning that is necessary. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that work that are broken mm-hmm. in a funny way. Like the wall right next to us. It serves as a wall. It's got a massive crack in it. So I could just leave it. It'll continue to serve as a wall, but I don't want it to be there in the iteration that we're eventually getting to. And so it's been a challenge to figure out, okay, do we just demo it now and wait until we have the budget to build onto the next thing or wait until we have the budget and then demo it and do it all at once, right? Mm. Because we're not really using this upstairs space right now. We don't need it for just me and Alba. But there is something to be said of like, well, if you're going to demolish one thing, you might as well just demolish a section and be done with it all at once. But then, you know, there's been huge jobs of cleaning out old rubbish and, and debris and stuff that's in the basements and yeah. huge amount of cleaning that's out on the fincas. Like I'm on day, I don't know, uh, probably getting into over a month of just mm-hmm. just weed whacking the yeah. triangle plot yeah. because it's, I don't know, five years of overgrowth. The fence. The fence yeah. took a long time. I didn't expect to have to go and with a hammer and chisel. Carve, hand chisel through the stone. Hand yeah. chisel through stone to put yeah. in fence posts. Pull that. Pull that is to prune. To prune yeah. the trees. Pruning the trees. And it's not really the season to do it. So some things just have to wait. And I'm not surprised by this because I've done projects like this, both for clients and for myself, like the one in Guatemala. I know everything takes longer than you expect. It's not discouraging to me in the least, but it has made us think, okay, let's just take on this one project for now. It leaves the doors open for all the others. But another thing that we've noticed is with the amount of people that come around here in the summer, we really value our privacy and our peace and quiet. And I know, Alba, maybe you can talk about the idea you had for rural tourism, but we've sort of put that on the back burner for a while while we establish our kind of perimeter and our privacy first. Yeah. And another thing is we found a lot of things more than we can imagine at the beginning. Yeah. The, the old things in, in the house. Yeah. There were whole rooms that we couldn't even see the back walls to yeah. because it was just, uh, it was just uh, floor to ceiling with old furniture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you can't move that stuff around when you're looking at the house. And so when we actually purchased it and got in there, we're like, oh, there's this much stuff here. Yeah. Yeah. And we've spent days like filling up trash containers and weekends. weekends. Yeah, weekends <laughs> uh, with her folks' help. And it's important to note that we save everything we possibly can. If we're throwing it out, even our imagination and Yayo's imagination cannot <laughs> exactly. think of what to do with it. <coughs> and so, yeah, and the fact that there are still containers worth of that kind of stuff was wild, you know. Because even old rotted wood, like, I put that in compost. <laughs> and we still found stuff that would fill containers. Yeah. So, yeah, that's hopefully answers the question. Yeah. Um, maybe yeah. maybe to, to wrap up the last part, I guess, is that we haven't said no to anything that we were dreaming of initially. But we're very much of the, the mindset right now is, like, some of these things may become more appropriate in the future. We won't uh, eliminate them from possibility, but there won't be a priority anytime soon. Things like rural tourism, things like uh, opening a restaurant, which everybody wants us to do because this place used to be a restaurant. 
all of those are possible, but they're not going to be our focus for at least yeah. a good while. So what are the things that are on the front burner? What are the top priority focusing? Other than obviously basic renovations, like yes, you want yeah. your apartment to be renovated and clean so you can live in a comfortable space. But in terms of the actual, maybe the enterprises or the function of the Modi, apart from just being your residence, what are the priorities? The school, no? Yeah. Yeah. Both Alba and I really love to teach. Uh, we get a lot of enjoyment out of it. We love the connection, and we love to share our passion for our various points of interest. Yes. I and we have a perfect space in the big living room. We've got perfect and... space for it. Yeah. And also, the even the neighbor's garage is perfect. Like yeah. <laughs> two stories of perfect open classroom space that she said she'd be more than happy to let us use. Mm -hmm. So if this were to expand beyond what we could host within one classroom, we could potentially run three classrooms at a time. That could easily hold 50, 60 people sitting in it. Yeah. yeah. Plus all the space out on the Fincas to go and do projects. We're both really excited to do that. And both of us have compromised this year in not doing any teaching while we work on the structure, while we get our little small apartment in the back of the house set up so that we can have our privacy. This is something that I learned and that Alba really agreed with me uh, from being in Guatemala. A big point of tension and the breakdown of some of the relationships there were because we really did not have enough privacy and security that we were just always on top of each other in, in, you know, in our interactions. There's just no getting away from it. And that inevitably caused tensions that didn't need to be there. And given that Alba and I are both... Yeah, it's important. Yeah. First, our part, our apartment, and later. To have our own little safety and retreat from when, you know, it's full of people we don't know. Yeah. Or people you do know that are small and sometimes have tantrums for an hour. <laughs> sometimes. Or sometimes get stung by a wasp eight times and then... <laughs> that just happened before this. That is worth knowing. Poor Rowan got stung eight <laughs> times by a wasp. That was not a small amount of screaming. It was not. But then like five minutes later, she was fine and doing a puzzle. Yeah. What a trooper. <laughs> but yeah, that stuff happens all the time around here. Uh, whether it's a fall and a scrape, yeah, it's just, you know, making sure that you have the spaces necessary to be able to recover however you do that, yeah. right? To relax and, and recharge the batteries yeah. so that you can be present and energetic when it's called for too. Yeah, and after the school, the, the shop, no? Yeah. Maybe? Yeah, well, tell yeah. us about your vision for the shop because this is something that you not only have some amazing ideas about, but that we... Actually, in a previous episode, talked about even getting a shop in Vic because it came up an opportunity. Yeah. Well, just just tell us about the idea for the shop here at the Money. Yeah. Well, it's it's difficult for me to explain in English, but um, I have a lot of ideas, but um, sobre todo. Above all. About all. Um, promote the the local business yeah the local produ producers and catalan catalan food yeah yeah so between all of the incredible products that are here in our county of usona the yeah. comarca of usona yeah. and what we are likely to produce on the yes. farm once the enterprises kind of yeah. get started and it's a perfect combination or perfect moment to know these people made it make community yes know these projects yeah yeah 
what are some of the things that you are excited about building or doing with this shop? Okay, um, I, I imagine the, the shop or the, the agro, agro, agro boutique, agro tienda is like a yeah. little farm store. Exactly. Not like a typical or normal shop. Um, I imagine more than <clears throat> um, one point to connect the people with the project, um, the farmers or the producers with the community know um, the stories, uh, for what reason you produce these things or for what reason you choose this way, no? Yeah. I think that fits perfectly with our idea for the school, yeah. right? Because some of the producers could also give small workshops exactly. that help to sell their products, yeah. but also help to give or communicate the value of their products beyond exactly. just the thing itself, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a necessity, no? Because here in this town, no shops, no nothing. Mm -hmm. And it's necessary for the, the community, but at the same time, it's... It's also something unique yeah. that can bring people from places exactly. where they have all access to the products, but maybe not to the experience or like the gathering place like you were mm -hmm. describing. Yeah. yeah. Well, just so positive for people here who there is no, there's nothing really, as you said, you know, obviously the place has a lot of history, yeah. but there isn't a lot in terms of, you know, there's no like Festa Mayor really that happens in exactly. San Sadoni, right? So there's yeah. no sort of, you know, the things that other towns or areas would have in Spain you know, traditions and rituals and um, celebrations or festivities, yes. a local, you know, a business or thing, you know, it doesn't really have any of that identity. And so it'd be really cool to, you know, we always think of those things as being old and valuing them because they're old, but at some point someone had to start them. Yeah. Traditions were never always there. That's a point at which they start. And to see yourselves in a part of that process where someday maybe this will be the old thing that the town becomes known for is kind of cool. And I think one thing, Alva, that you've described in the past is that there's a difference between participating in the things that you use and consume rather than just being a consumer. Exactly. And you've really outlined an idea or a vision for this that yeah. promotes interaction and participation, yeah. relationship, more than just a single point of transaction. Yeah. So they say go more away or no? Ir más allá? Yeah. Oh, go a step further. Exactly. Yeah, go a step further. That's right. right. So, you know, where we are now, in many ways, seems very, very far from the theoretical point where the Moli is at its maximum potential, where there's, there may be, you know, layering enterprises of animals and plants and trees and nurseries and orchards and, and maybe someone here running a restaurant and maybe a school and, you know, there are all these, the shop. Yeah. <clears throat> but thinking about, you know, from here, getting to that point, what are some milestones along the way that you're looking forward to that could be, and you can think of it in a positive or a negative way, right? So what are signs that would show you, oh, this is great. We're moving in the right direction. Or what are things that might show you, oh, wait, this is getting away from what we had envisioned. Yeah. Because you'll be in the milestone phase maybe the whole time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, so we did a lot of work on this around Christmas where Alba and I revisited our holistic context. Yeah and reconnected with the values that are most important to us. And we're still in a revision phase of, there are some specifics and details that we need to articulate better together. 
but I think we're very clear about our core values and motivations for embarking on this project. Yeah. The number one being, what's the number one thing that we were doing all of this for? Family. A hundred percent. Yeah. And so, like you were saying before, our family is all spread out all over the world. Alba's is close by, but we used to live a lot closer. And we don't want our now 45 minute difference rather than a five minute difference to create a proportional decrease in how much we interact and, and spend time with them. In fact, so far, it's been yeah. quite the opposite. We've been spending more and more quality yeah, time. Quality time, yeah. Because we don't just pop by and, you know, do little casual things. It's a little bit more of a plan for them to come up here. And so they'll spend the whole day and we'll do projects together and we'll do things that advance this forward. Whereas before, just like, ah, oh, go over for a meal or yeah. go by for a chat and we watch some TV. This has actually really improved, I think, our relationship and our interactions with, the, yeah. with your folks. And really, my folks expect the Sundays and... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there's some more high-level things that we would like to achieve, but we, we've confirmed this with each other that those are all add-ons and they cannot at any point come at a cost of deteriorating family connections. Yeah. So if we can maintain and increase our connection with family, then those are the things that we'll build on, things like helping to reinforce uh, food security and quality for this small town. Um, creating a space for community to gather, like you were talking about, with the yeah. place, promoting culture, becoming people of place here in the process. All of that we are working actively on, but we're also very keen in paying attention to, you know, do, do we still have time to call family during the week? Uh, as busy as we are, can we still open our home for you and the beans to come here for two months, you know? Like this was always the core motivation of having this, yeah. having my family, my, my parents visit for a while. And now we're even in conversation about what it would look like for them to retire part or full time here within yeah. within 10 years, you know. Yeah, we focus on family and later the rest of the things. Yeah. And of course, you know, we need to be able to pay our bills in that time. But there are so many options of how to do that. Yeah. We're motivated. Really, all the things can wait. Yeah. The, the school, the, the shop. Yeah. But this is why you're here and we're not teaching classes yet. Yeah. Because one of those things was a lot more important to us. Yeah, yeah. exactly. What about you? What would be another metric for success for you into the future? Life um, calm and relax. Yeah. And enjoy the days. And... Not be, put... not be hurried. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know that's one you've expressed before. Yeah. yeah. That's one of my favorite things about following through this project with you guys is seeing how your bottom line is never the money. Yeah. You know, I've, I've seen you guys through, you know, the purchasing process and many different decisions that you both made for your careers and things and to really meet people who, you know, your fundamental goal at the end of the month is not just yeah. paying bills or saving a certain amount or or growing your business. It's really about the things that make you happy. And I've seen you both make decisions where you turned down work or left work yeah. in order to preserve your quality of life. Because yeah, because when you, when you start, no? when you stay in, in La Rueda, no? when you arrive, okay, I, I arrived 10 clients. Okay, now I want more. Or 
300 episodes. No, more, more. Always more, more. Well, I am gonna make more episodes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's not a good example, but... I'm just, yeah, I'm just joking. Mean. I know exactly yeah, yeah. what you mean. You get on the hamster yeah. wheel and then it's just faster, yeah. more, everything. Yeah. And if you focus on these things, you lose totally your vision and your calm and your... Well, it's also really important to reconnect on why exactly. you're doing any of it. And that was the whole point of the exercises that we went through over the winter. Yeah, it's important. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> it's also the reason why I do the holistic context is one of the beginning things whenever I work with clients. Because though money may be a strong motivation, it's, all, it's always important to remember that money is a tool to get other things. Money is not a means to, to an end, right? Or wait, it's the other way It's around. not the end, yeah. but it's it not the end. It is the means. To the end. Yeah, it's yeah. bad, bad with Not all the days are the same, and it's important to remember the. Yeah. Well, and so one of the other things, kind of along there with family, is health. Yeah. Right. So we could have all of these. You know, the the farm could be flourishing. The business could be making tons of money. We could have family around, and if we are ill or injured or you know, suffering in some way physically or mentally, there's a lot of forms of health, right? What is that for? Like, that is one of the most key things to quality mm -hmm. of life that both of us have been making a lot of decisions to, to improve on recently. Yeah. Saying that now, I actually got to go to a physical therapist because my neck is killing me. <laughs> I have definitely done some damage to my spine and all this weed whacking the last few days. But, uh, like, that's a perfect reminder, right? Okay, I got that done faster than I necessarily had to, but it compromised some of my quality of life over these last few days and being kind of achy and, and having soreness in my neck. Mm -hmm. So it's a good reminder of like, okay, at what cost? Exactly. Be aware and make sure that you put in the time to, to enjoy and, and kind of fortify the yeah. base of things. And family and health, yeah. everything else to us is extra. And never forget, enjoy all the things that we yeah. make. And be grateful for them along the way. Yeah, Because yeah. we came in with the complete realization that this will never be done and one thing I was thinking about when you asked the question in the beginning you know when it reaches its highest potential I genuinely hope that I do not live to see it reach its highest potential because if that is the case then I created a system in which I was a weak link and me not being there meant that it could not reach a higher potential right so I hope that I get to see it reach an incredible potential but I hope that its highest potential is beyond both Alba and I, because that would mean that we set it up for further success beyond us being here to manage and look after it. That what we set up here is something that can continue to grow and evolve and, and reach higher potential with whoever stewards it in the, in the future. So let's turn this on you because I've already interviewed the beans. Kind of, I guess it's between the three of us, but so now that you're here with the girls and you and I have been dreaming about this since we first found this house, actually even before that when we were looking at other houses that didn't end up working out, what are some of the things that you've learned from being here and what it means for us as a family now to have this as a resource where we can get together? I think the, the thing I'm most surprised by is how nothing that is really beautiful and valuable gets old. Mm -hmm. Like... I thought, okay, two You say months. in a thousand-year-old house. <laughs> <laughs> I it mean, gets pretty old. In the sense of, you know, it gets older, but it doesn't, you know, <laughs> yeah. you don't get tired of it. So, I'm just kidding. So, 
you know, I thought, okay, it'll be really amazing. Obviously the view and the river and the waterfall and, you know, it'll be great. But, you know, after two months, like it'll be, you know, we'll be happy. We'll go back to Kuwait. But on the contrary, I think, oh, it's, it's just so hard to even describe the kind of inner emotional peace that I have here just because of being in nature and being, being able to just wake up in the morning and, and go out and see the mountains and see the river and go to the waterfall, eat outside, and go for my runs here and these you know, incredible trails around the area and see my girls. I mean, they've been here, you know, in Kuwait, if they get a new toy, if they have a new craft, whatever, they're always sick of it in a certain amount of time. Here, you know, we've been here, I think, o over five weeks, almost six weeks. Mm -hmm. I think it's today, Friday? Yeah. No, 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 no. Tomorrow's Wednesday. Today's Wednesday. Today's Wednesday. Okay. <laughs> Wednesday, Wednesday. Well, on Friday, it'll be six weeks that we've been here. Yeah. yeah. And never once have the girls not been excited to go outside. Yeah. Sure. Every yeah, single yeah. day. We, okay. They run, they get their shoes on immediately. They might not want to do what I want to do outside. Sure. Like, yeah. I might want to go to one spot to do something and they want to do something else. But they're always excited to get out there and they are never ready to go inside. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, let's, you know, we got to go prepare lunch or I'm going to put you to bed, whatever. No, just five more minutes in the river, just five more minutes snorkeling, yeah. just 10 more minutes. We just want to look at the chickens more. We just want to <laughs> see if there are more eggs, you know, that, you know, just for basic human health and well-being, there are so many things that for the vast majority of human history were around and were easy and were taken for granted and natural and probably, you know, sacred and valued, but not in the way that we can value them for those of us who've been starving for these things mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. months and years yeah, yeah. and sometimes our whole lives. And so just the being here for now about six weeks, realizing it's not like the rest of the things that give me pleasure in my life in other ways. Being out here in a, a natural, beautiful place gives you a kind of inner peace. And I'm a very talkative person, as you've probably gathered at this point. But <laughs> here, I was actually telling you the other day, I've, I've noticed myself being less talkative. Yeah. And in, you know, in my normal life, when I get less talkative, it's usually because I'm stressed or there's something bothering me or I'm upset. But here... It's just because I don't feel the compulsive need to talk all the time. <laughs> Here, I just, I have a real feeling of peace and just yeah. calm. My, I Usually, I have to have highs and lows. Here, I have peace. Mm. It's substantially different from yeah. what I experience in my best moments outside of nature. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, yeah it's irreplaceable. And we imagine a lot of time, this time together, we expect, no? Yes. Yeah. Oh, just I spent the yeah, whole year just yeah, anticipating yeah. Three years, in six months, in three months, and finally arrived. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. This has been special. Uh, and in terms of our family, I mean, I've talked with you, I've spoken with our, our parents and our brothers about, maybe this has been going on for almost as long as the podcast has, because it was when I moved to Guatemala that I was scoping out the possibility of getting a place where the family could get together again. I mean, we're seven of us all together. I'm the oldest and you're right in the middle. And we all live in different places and it's very hard. It's very infrequent for us all to be in the same place at the same time. And part of that is the, <laughs> the little houses that we each have. Uh, it's hard for getting that many people together and, and for us to be comfortable. This has been something that we have talked about and dreamed about for a long time. I never imagined it could be someplace this cool. I think we really got fortunate in that this was even an option. But, you know, it's hard to 
predict how this is going to play out and how often we'll be able to use it for family gatherings, but kind of what do you think it means for, for our family to have something like this? Yeah, I mean, so we're sort of in our first family get-together, and, you know, it's not everyone is here. And probably it won't always be that way, so it'll be some groups of us here, and then occasionally mm -hmm. we'll all come. But We've also got aunt and uncles and grandparents <clears throat> in different places. And, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, remember, I think when we first pulled up to the Moli, I was just so emotional. Yeah, I remember yeah. the first day. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> I just cried so oh, much. Oh, cried. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is special. This house is... is uh, well, the thing is, like, yeah. I mean, the building in and of itself and the, the community and the land around it is beautiful in and of itself. But I think also the expectations and the potential that we've brought into it yeah. of what it could mean for our relationships, our reconnection, our... Uh, well, reconnection to nature and building relationships in the long term with the natural world, not just with one another is what gives it meaning beyond the resources of the house and the land and of itself. And another thing is the love and we can no, explain to other people we we pass no these yeah. these feelings. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really looking for, that's one thing that motivates me to turn this into a school this upcoming year is to be able to offer a window and some of the gratitude that we feel for this place to others yeah. who come in to to learn with us, definitely with us because we're very much on a, a yeah, learning exactly. journey ourselves. Gratitude is, is the word, yeah. all the days. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I also remember, I don't know how many years ago now it would have been, but I remember getting the phone call from you when you knew you were gonna leave Guatemala, when you knew that, you know, because at that time that was the project you had poured all of your savings into it. Yeah, yeah. You I went totally all in into that project in Guatemala. Fully intended to put down roots there. And then I remember when you called me with the news that more or less, you know, it had fallen through. <clears throat> it just wasn't going to work out to stay there. You were going to have to figure a way to get out. I remember, you know, telling you something because I always say things like this, you know, if it's not happening, it's because there's something better in store for you. I'm sure that something better is going to work out. And I'm just so thrilled that this is what ended up working out because I was not going to take my little girls to Guatemala. No, I remember I that. Wasn't. Yeah, we talked about you that. You know, I just, you know, it's way further, way less safe and secure than, yeah. you know, coming to Spain. And yeah. It's hard to travel with little kids. I yeah, sure. it would have been really hard. And then yeah. there were so many other options here in Spain that also would have been much harder. I remember sure. one of some of the houses you guys were looking at. We're really small. Yeah. We're super, just like a two-bedroom house. Yeah, what yeah, is yeah. a two-bedroom house? Who yeah. builds a house with two bedrooms? I, don't even know. <laughs> I grew up in the States. No one builds houses smaller than like three or four bedrooms in the States. Yeah, we're kind of yeah. spoiled in that way. European, I also, like tiny things, yeah. I don't get it. Well, on the other side too, like I, I have reference from being in places like Senegal and the Philippines where very large families lived in single rooms and yeah. throughout all of human history... So I had that in mind when we were looking at these tiny houses, like, oh, if other people can make it work, we'll make it work. Yeah, but, but David, you been. only need, you need one um, room only for your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. As we have explained at this point, yeah. Yeah. This, this thing needs space. But yeah, I just remember when you were looking at those houses thinking, yeah, okay, like this could be great for a dream, 
but maybe not the dream of bringing our whole family together. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. But that it worked out in this place, the absolute perfect. Yeah. And there's so many little things that just make it so much easier. Apart from being in Spain versus Guatemala or being in a huge house, just the fact that, for example, we're in the mountains, but you don't have to drive 45 minutes up twisty, tiny, what do they call them yeah. in Spanish? Yeah, Goat yeah. paths. Yeah, yeah, Camino de Cabra. Camino de Cabra to get <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, because yeah. if you guys lived where, say, you know, Selma's horse riding is, yeah. it would be much harder yeah, it would. To get there. And it would yeah. be so much harder to even just go into town to get groceries. Yeah. Yeah. So there are a lot of things to be thankful for. It was a long for. search. It took two years of us looking during the pandemic when everything was up in the air. Yeah. And this only barely ended up working out. I think I may have mentioned on a previous show that we signed the papers to confirm this purchase one day after the expiration date yeah, of the yeah, down yeah. payment. So we were just biting our nails all the way along. And it was really Alba that made all that happen because she did all the paperwork. She followed up with all the banks. Yeah. None of this I was able to do really because everybody does this in Catalan and all yeah. the paperwork was in Catalan. And That's another thing I'm super thankful for, that Alba is Alba. Oh yeah. my gosh, none <laughs> of this would be possible without none Alba. And we could now. Even if we could imagine someone as competent and capable as Alba, which there aren't. Yeah. But even if we could imagine people as competent and amazing as her... I wouldn't necessarily get along as well with all <laughs> sure. of them, right? or they wouldn't necessarily want three yeah, little girls running around their house for yeah. two months. Yeah. So there's a lot to be thankful for in terms of how it's yeah. all worked out. Yeah. Thank you. This has definitely yeah. been a team, a family effort. Yeah. Yeah. This just this is a family, a big team. Yeah. yeah. And we're really looking forward to, hopefully those of you listening, to include you on some of these processes. We're really looking forward to opening this home and making this a place where we can all learn together. And I mean, I'm going to be bringing in guest teachers and speakers throughout this entire journey because I want to learn from them too, exactly the same as this podcast has been just in person, you know, there's going to be more of a production and we're going to have to learn how to make these events work. And there's a huge growth curve ahead for us, but uh, we really look forward to including many of you out there in, in the growth and the evolution of this as well. All right, that's, I think, a good place to wrap it up for now. But yeah, um, we got to rescue Marlene at this point. We do have to rescue Marlene <laughs> with the three little <laughs> Come on. Yeah. All right, girls, thank you and so much. And one thing more, there. baby. Yeah. Congratulations for yeah. these three episodes. Oh, thank you. Amazing. And thank you both for all of the support to get here. I couldn't identify myself. Of course. And there you have it. Creating this episode for me meant a whole lot. I far too often forget to stop and celebrate the milestones and the checkpoints along the way in my life. 300 episodes in almost seven years could just as easily have been another one that I remarked on briefly while burying my head into another project or a deadline. But a lot of things are changing in my life and my priorities. I'm trying to get better about celebrating the little wins along this journey and taking the time to reflect on and to be grateful for all the blessings and the support that has brought me to this place and time in my life. I also want to thank you for tuning in. Whether you've been a listener since the beginning or are just checking out this show for the first time, I know that you have infinite choices of how to spend your time and what to pay attention to. So thanks for choosing to spend a little time with me and my family and our little story and our reflection time today. Now, as I've mentioned before, there have been many years where I felt demotivated to keep this show going for another year. But thanks to all this ongoing support and the kindness and the openness of the guests on this show to share their time and their thoughts, 
I feel more motivated than ever to keep this going and to explore new ways to bring the inspiration and hope that I find in this world to those of you who care to discover it with me. Regenerative Skills is a short title for the myriad abilities and the tips, knowledge, and wisdom that can be applied tangibly in all of our lives to heal our natural world, repair our trauma and our health, to revitalize our communities and built environment, to restore our roles as stewards on this earth and all the life in it, ultimately to regenerate life in all its forms and capacities. I sincerely believe that every single one of us has the potential to transform the world that we interact with through love and collaboration. I'm here on this earth to discover exactly how I can serve in this role in every interaction that I have. And I've got a long way to go and a lot to learn and to practice. So let's all remember to keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future. And I'll be right by your side along the way. And don't forget that new episodes will continue to come out every Friday like clockwork. These episodes are also just the instigators, the bait for the conversations around these topics and more on the Regenerative Skills Discord community. You can find the link to join for free on the homepage on our website at regenerativeskills.com or in the bio on our Instagram page. If you'd like to support this show, I don't need your money or your donations, but if you could take a little time out of your day to leave a review of the show on whatever streaming platform you're listening to it on, it helps a lot to appease the algorithm gods and to help more people discover this show. And so that's it for this milestone. I will catch you next week.